Due to the graphic nature of this dictator's reign, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of murder and sexual situations that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. In early March, 37 CE, Emperor Tiberius was faced with the most critical decision of his entire reign, choosing a successor. The 77-year-old had led the Roman Empire for 22 years, and the end was near. But he couldn't decide who should take his place. His teenage grandson, Gemellus, or his 24-year-old adopted grandson, Caligula. Making difficult decisions was always a problem for Tiberius. It was evident to all that he had no desire to lead Rome. Instead, he preferred the sexual perks that came with the position of emperor. And eventually, he came up with a brilliant way to avoid even this crucial choice. He would let the gods decide who should be the next emperor. Tiberius sent a message to both boys and told them to come and see him at once. Whoever walked through the door first would officially be declared his heir. It was perfect. As Tiberius waited in his chamber, he heard a knock on the door and looked up. To his complete and total disappointment, it was Caligula. Through gritted teeth, Tiberius embraced his adopted grandson and officially declared him heir to the throne. A viper was about to be unleashed on the people of Rome. Welcome to Dictators, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm Richard. And I'm Kate. You can find all episodes of Dictators and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. Today, we continue our discussion of the Julio-Claudian dynasty with Caligula. One of the most infamous Roman emperors in history, he ruled from 37 CE to 41 CE. Throughout that reign, he was known for his cruelty and insanity. This week, we'll follow the rise of Caligula. We'll discuss how Caligula grew up in his father's shadow and came to be imprisoned by Emperor Tiberius in Capri. But the young man didn't just get out of captivity. He made it to the seat of the emperor, where many Romans hoped this relative unknown would do some good. Their hopes were quickly dashed. Next week, we'll examine some of the more outrageous stories associated with Caligula once he assumed power including the construction of a three-mile floating bridge and his failed campaign to conquer Britannia. He thought these foibles were his right. He saw himself as a god. But an assassination plot proved just how wrong he was. Coming up, we'll dive into the rise of Caligula. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some... The gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. 
This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. There's a new class of blockbuster drugs. Drugs like Ozempic. They're changing bodies. And all of a sudden, just the weight starts falling off. Fortunes. It just got too expensive. They're just bank breakers. And industries. There was a lot of excitement. There was a lot of skepticism. The impact of these drugs from business to health is just beginning. From the journal, Trillion Dollar Shot. Find it in the journal feed wherever you get your podcasts. Caligula. The name alone conjures images of a man consumed by madness, cruelty, and excess. For thousands of years, the world knew Caligula as one of the quintessential examples of Roman overindulgence. He was made all the more infamous in the 1979 erotic historical film that bears his name. Many modern historians confirm these general ideas. Caligula was a murderous, selfish, and paranoid tyrant. However, historians have also suggested that the ancient writers exaggerated Caligula's evil. This historical slander was most likely due to the fact that Caligula didn't live up to the standards set by his father, the great Roman general Germanicus. Caligula was born Gaius Julius Caesar Germanicus on August 31st, 12 CE. His mother was Agrippina the Elder, granddaughter of Augustus Caesar. At the time of Caligula's birth, Augustus was in the final two years of his reign. About a year after Caligula was born, Germanicus was appointed commander of the Roman legions in the Rhine. So for the first several years of his life, Caligula grew up amongst soldiers. And in many ways, the stage was set for Caligula to follow in his father's footsteps. The Roman soldiers found themselves entertained by the young Caligula, who Agrippina the Elder dressed like a legionnaire. He quickly became the pet of the troops. As part of his soldier's uniform, the young boy wore the standard Caligai boot. This led to the nickname Caligula, or Tiny Boots. The name stuck with him for the rest of his life, much to Caligula's annoyance. This quaint portrait of family life amidst the army was interrupted in 14 AD when the unpopular Tiberius became emperor of Rome. In response, soldiers in the Rhine legions threatened to mutiny. The only way Germanicus could stop them was if he met the following demands. An increase in pay, shorter terms of service, and for Germanicus to declare himself emperor. Fearing his family's safety, Germanicus acquiesced to pay the increase and cut back service length. But these moves only increased the calls for Germanicus to become emperor. Which Germanicus would not do. Instead, he promised to take his soldiers on campaign against the Germans. According to historian Stephen Dando Collins, Rome traditionally battled the Germans every year between March and October. In recent years, however, there had been a decrease in fighting. Germanicus promised his men more money and eternal glory. 
And for the next two years, they got what he'd promised. Germanicus and his men crushed various Germanic tribes. One of his most significant victories came at the Battle of Edistaviso in 16 CE. 80,000 Roman soldiers defeated 50,000 Germanic troops. The battle put an end to a three-year campaign, earning Germanicus and his men fame and glory back in Rome. But in the process, it made Germanicus an enemy of his adoptive father, Emperor Tiberius. To Emperor Tiberius, Germanicus's victories represented the soldiers' attempt to usurp power. Tiberius was convinced that Rome's troops were more loyal to Germanicus than their emperor, and he wasn't wrong. But Tiberius knew that he couldn't simply kill Germanicus. Such an act might inspire a rebellion. Instead, he recalled Germanicus to Rome, where he could keep an eye on him. To sweeten the return, he promised to give Germanicus a triumph, the Roman celebration for a victorious military commander. And Germanicus wanted to make his triumph a family affair. In May 17 CE, four-year-old Caligula returned to Rome in style. He stood beside his hero father and siblings in a chariot showered with cheers. Behind them was the parade made up of Germanicus's legions. As Caligula rode through Rome's streets and did laps around the Circus Maximus, the triumph was seared into his memory. It felt so good to be adored. However, Caligula's time in Rome only lasted a few months. At the end of the summer, Germanicus was appointed commander-in-chief of a conveniently distant region. He, a pregnant Agrippina the Elder, and the young Caligula headed to the Middle East. Once they established their home base in Antioch, Syria, Germanicus toured throughout the eastern portion of the empire. He island-hopped in the Aegean Sea, rode through the rolling hills of Armenia, and sailed up the Nile to see the pyramids. After two years, he returned to Antioch. And that's precisely when trouble started brewing. The governor of Syria was a man named Gnaeus Piso, and he wasn't too thrilled that Germanicus was now in the region as his superior. Germanicus technically outranked Piso. So Piso did everything he could to assert his authority. In January 19 CE, Germanicus traveled to Egypt. The region had recently experienced famine, and the commander needed to survey the damage. When he returned to Syria, he discovered that Piso had reversed all of the orders he had given to the army legions and surrounding cities. Although it is unknown precisely what those orders were, Germanicus was understandably livid, so much so that he banished Piso from his court. That October, Germanicus suddenly and violently fell ill. He quickly assumed that Piso had somehow poisoned him. This fear was reinforced when he discovered that Piso's wife was friends with a known Syrian poisoner. But before Germanicus could seek justice, he succumbed to his illness and died. For the seven-year-old Caligula, the loss of his father, a hero of Rome, was devastating. For the rest of his life, wherever Caligula went, the memory of his father followed. 
In the years following Germanicus's death, Caligula lived with his mother and three younger sisters, probably in Rome. It was during this period when Caligula's sexual depravity was said to have originated. When Caligula was around 15, he was caught in bed with his 12-year-old sister, Julia Drusilla. This episode has long been considered the evidence for stories of Caligula's rampant incest. However, modern historians believe it may have actually originated from ancient anti-Caligula propaganda. Of the six ancient historians who chronicled Caligula's life, Suetonius is the only one who wrote about Caligula in bed with Drusilla. And while other ancient historians had bad things to say about Caligula, Suetonius is especially severe, so much so that his narration is unreliable. In fact, during his teenage years, Caligula was probably best known not for his depravity, but for his love of singing and dancing. The reason Caligula was allowed to continue living with his mother and sisters was that Emperor Tiberius never considered him a threat. Though at times Tiberius was wary of Caligula's older brothers, he found the artistic young Caligula somewhat whimsical. But not everyone shared this belief. Some within the emperor's council believed that all of Germanicus's family posed a threat to the throne, and that threat needed to be eliminated. The man leading that charge was Lucius Aelius Seianus. As we discussed in our episodes on Tiberius, Seianus was the prefect or commander of the Praetorian Guard, the private bodyguards of the royal family. Since becoming prefect, Seianus had his eye on the throne, and he would do whatever he could to get there. That included eliminating rivals, like Germanicus's family. Seianus's first target was Caligula's mother, Agrippina the Elder. He went about using his influence to isolate her, that included banishing her family and friends, or to prosecuting them on absurd charges. And his tactics worked. Plus, even better for Seanus, Agrippina believed that it was Emperor Tiberius who was responsible. At the same time, Seanus manipulated Tiberius into thinking that Agrippina was angling for power for herself and her sons. Whether or not Agrippina actually plotted to usurp Tiberius, the rumors made Agrippina persona non grata throughout the Roman aristocracy. Things finally came to a head in 28 CE. By now, Tiberius was off on the island of Capri, and Nero Germanicus, Caligula's eldest brother, was named heir. But at the same time, Seanus had total influence over 68-year-old Tiberius. And for whatever reason, he decided this was the year to initiate his final strikes. Seanus ordered house arrest for both Agrippina and Nero Germanicus. A year later, both were tried before the Senate on trumped-up charges of treason and homosexuality. The Senate declared both defendants enemies of the state and banished them from Rome. Nero Germanicus was sent to live on the island of Pontia, while Agrippina made for the island of Pondateria. When Agrippina arrived, she received a whipping from a guard and in the process went blind in one eye. 
For Seanus, the plan to remove Germanicus's family was going perfectly. Only two people stood in his way. Caligula's other brother, Drusus Germanicus, and Caligula himself. But just as Seanus plotted his move against Caligula, Emperor Tiberius made a shocking and unexpected announcement. 18-year-old Caligula was now going to live with him on the island of Capri. Many saw the move as the sign that Tiberius was sparing Caligula's life. In reality, it turned out to be much worse. Caligula was now Emperor Tiberius's prisoner. Coming up, Caligula lives as Tiberius's prisoner on Capri. Hi, listeners. To celebrate our favorite month, Parcast Network is releasing a slate of new shows leaning into all things spooky and spine-tingling. And now, we're bringing you an original series called Superstitions, featuring the origins and impacts of our most unusual beliefs and the stories of those who dare to defy them. Every week on Superstitions, hear a new drama that illustrates the eeriness and unlocks the mysteries of humanity's strangest codes of conduct. Like holding your breath while passing a cemetery so you don't wake the dead and make them jealous. Or carrying the foot of an animal known to have an evil eye. Or using iron to keep away the devil. They may seem mystical or even completely illogical, but one thing is certain, you ignore them at your own risk. You can find and follow Superstitions free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. To hear more ParCast shows, search ParCast Network in Spotify's search bar and find a growing slate of spooky October programming to enjoy. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now, back to the story. When Caligula's father died in 19 CE, it allowed the family's enemies to swoop in and eliminate them. The lead architect for this purge was the commander of the Praetorian Guard, Sianus. For a decade, Sianus worked on acquiring power while eliminating Caligula's brothers and mother. But before Sianus could take out Caligula, Emperor Tiberius decided he wanted the 18-year-old to live with him on the island of Capri. The move occurred in 30 CE, and by all accounts, including those written by Caligula's harshest critics, the young man's six years on Capri were tantamount to hell. Tiberius forced Caligula to either watch or perform some of the more depraved acts we discussed last week, including sexual activities with young girls and boys. He watched the torture of boys and their forced participation in gladiatorial games. And of course, he witnessed Tiberius's infamous pool gatherings. It's also likely that Tiberius sexually abused Caligula. Not surprisingly, Caligula hated Tiberius. 
He detested the insidious acts of torture and sexual abuse committed by the aging emperor. However, Caligula knew that if he voiced such displeasure, he would likely be exiled, or worse, killed. So Caligula began acting, and feigned approval of Tiberius's nefarious actions. In return, Tiberius gleefully believed that he was grooming a monster to be his heir. Allegedly, Tiberius once proudly said, I'm nursing a viper for the Roman people. Tiberius couldn't have been more right. While Tiberius was having fun on Capri and ignoring his duty to govern, Sejanus was looking to finally solidify his power in Rome, roughly 160 miles northwest. First, Sejanus convinced Tiberius to take out Caligula's final brother, Drusus. A short time later, Drusus Germanicus was accused of plotting against Tiberius and thrown into prison. Next, Sejanus sent a guard to Caligula's other brother, Nero Germanicus, on Pontia. The story goes that the guards simply showed Nero a noose. Refusing the noose would have likely resulted in a painful death. So, Nero hung himself. Soon, news of the death reached Caligula on Capri. But instead of publicly mourning Nero's loss, Caligula kept his tears to himself. He knew that Sejanus would be looking for any excuse to question his loyalty to Tiberius and have him killed too. But fortunately, Caligula's grandmother also realized what Sejanus was doing and decided to step in to save her family. In the spring of 31 CE, Caligula's grandmother Antonia sent Emperor Tiberius a letter claiming that Sejanus was making moves against him. Tiberius trusted Antonia immensely. If she sent the letter, then the accusations must be true. Despite the fact that this was an almost unbelievable betrayal. After years of what he'd thought was collaboration and friendship, Sejanus needed to go. In October, Tiberius secretly appointed 52-year-old Nivius Cordus Macro as the new prefect of the Praetorian Guard and almost immediately used him to take out Sejanus. On October 18, 31 CE, Macro went to the Senate and delivered a letter from Tiberius to be read aloud. It began with a few kind words praising Sejanus, but then the message suddenly turned into a critical hit piece, and it ended with a call for Sejanus's immediate arrest. After an intense debate, the senators finally agreed to follow Tiberius's orders. Sejanus was shackled and thrown into prison. That very evening, Lucius Aelius Sejanus was strangled to death. His 10 years of plotting and machinations were all for naught. It is hard not to imagine that Caligula was relieved to hear that Sejanus, the man who was the architect of his family's ruin, was dead. However, it didn't mean that Caligula was safe just yet. Emperor Tiberius did still consider Caligula's remaining brother, Drusus Germanicus, a threat. In 33 CE, Tiberius ordered the imprisoned Drusus to starve. Allegedly, Drusus ate the hay from his mattress out of desperation. When word of Drusus 
ultimate starvation reached Agrippina the Elder, she was distraught. Two of her sons were dead, and her third was the emperor's plaything. Sometime in 33 CE, it all became too much. Agrippina died by suicide. Allegedly, Caligula was as stoic about both these deaths as he had been about his first brothers. The ancient historians have used that lack of emotion as evidence that Caligula was always a wicked man. However, the real reason was likely that Caligula knew how to survive. Sejanus was out of the picture and his vendetta against Caligula's family with him. But after spending three years on Tiberius's island, Caligula was all too aware of Tiberius's own brutality. If Caligula showed too much emotion over the deaths of condemned traitors, it could mean his own demise. So for the next few years, Caligula did all he could to stay out of trouble. He distracted himself by studying oratory, debate, and Greek philosophy. And he even made a friend, the new Praetorian Guard Prefect, Macro. For a Roman emperor to succeed, he needed the backing of the Praetorian Guard. Caligula suddenly had the support of one of the most important and powerful men in the empire. Unfortunately, the aging Emperor Tiberius was still refusing to decide on his heir. In the years since coming to Capri, Caligula seemed like the odds-on favorite. But by the end of 36 CE, Tiberius was beginning to have second thoughts. The only other real option, though, was Tiberius's grandson, Gemellus. And after his father's death, Gemellus had also been living on Capri with Tiberius, being groomed as a possible heir. However, Tiberius questioned whether or not Gemellus was actually his blood. He was concerned that the boy was the result of an affair between his mother and Sejanus. For months, Tiberius couldn't decide what to do. He consulted with Macro, who suggested Caligula. But ultimately, as he often had before, Tiberius found a way to avoid the decision entirely by leaving it up to the gods. So, one morning in March 37 CE, Tiberius summoned Caligula and Gemellus to his chambers. Whoever walked through the door first would be emperor. But Gemellus didn't know that and decided to eat breakfast first. So when the door opened, Caligula appeared. Apparently, much to Tiberius's dismay. According to one ancient historian, deep down, Tiberius hoped the gods chose Gemellus. The decision to eat breakfast cost Gemellus the throne and would subject the empire to the tumultuous reign of Caligula, sooner than most Romans expected. Not long after naming Caligula his official heir, Tiberius injured himself while throwing a javelin. Following the injury, he took to his bed, where he succumbed to an unknown illness. Some say the illness was the result of his javelin injury or some other natural illness that happened to strike him at the time. But because this was Rome, there were rumors of a more insidious nature. Some ancient historians claim that Caligula poisoned, starved, or smothered Tiberius. 
perhaps as revenge for the six years of horrors he lived through on Capri. Caligula himself boasted years later that he nearly sank a dagger into a sleeping Tiberius. The only reason he stopped was that he suddenly felt pity for him. Another version of the story claims that it was actually Macro, the Praetorian Guard prefect who murdered Tiberius. But whatever the cause, on March 16th, 37 CE, the 77-year-old Emperor Tiberius died. Two days later, the Roman Senate declared 24-year-old Gaius Caligula Julius Caesar Germanicus the new emperor. And on March 28th, Emperor Caligula entered Rome for the first time in at least six years. Many within the Roman aristocracy saw Caligula's ascension as Rome's rebirth, a chance to erase Tiberius's deplorable reign. The son of Germanicus would surely lead the empire to prosperity. In less than a year, they would come to realize how very wrong they were. Coming up, Caligula's benevolent reign is abruptly cut short. Now, back to the story. In March 37 CE, Emperor Tiberius died. A few days later, his heir, 24-year-old Gaius Julius Caesar Germanicus, known as Caligula, was officially declared emperor. Upon arriving in Rome, the young Caligula inherited an empire that stretched from France and Belgium to Syria and Egypt. He was Rome's youngest leader, and after the final ineffective years of Tiberius's leadership, he represented a new hope. According to one official inscription in the Roman Turkish town of Assos, since the coronation of Gaius Caesar Germanicus Augustus Caligula, which all mankind had hoped for, the world has found no measure for its joy. The happiest age of mankind has arrived. Caligula, for his part, appeared ready to honor the praise heaped upon him. For six years, he had been a prisoner on Capri, doing all he could to survive Tiberius's abuse. Fully aware of the previous emperor's impressive reputation, Caligula had little desire to replicate Tiberius's reign. With that in mind, Caligula immediately got to work. First, he officially adopted Gemellus, Tiberius' grandson. This made Gemellus next in line for the throne. It also helped Caligula curry favor with the Senate by showing that unlike Tiberius, he wasn't paranoid of being usurped. Next, Caligula pardoned and freed all political prisoners who had been locked up under Tiberius. Historian Stephen Dando Collins argues that Caligula did this to justify releasing his friend, Herod Agrippa, who'd been charged with treason by the paranoid Tiberius. Had Caligula only released Agrippa, Caligula would have likely received criticism of favoritism. By releasing all political prisoners, however, the new emperor could free his friend and protect his burgeoning reputation as emperor. To finish off the successful scheme, Caligula also gave Agrippa sections of Syria and the title of king. Within a few years, Agrippa would rule over all of Judea as King Herod Agrippa I. In these early days, Caligula also formed his council of advisors. His most important was Macro, the Praetorian Guard prefect who'd been a friend and ally to Caligula while Tiberius was still alive. 
Under Macro's advice, Caligula began a series of reforms to undo the draconian laws of his predecessor. For starters, Caligula opted to share power with the Senate. Caligula was still the sole ruler of Rome. However, as historian Alois Vinterling writes, he paid strict attention to the proper forms of communication between the emperor and the aristocrats in the Senate, which had traditionally symbolized their equality. Instead of dictating and making decrees on his own, Caligula generally seemed to have discussed his ideas with the senators. In doing so, Caligula boosted his public image. Many believed that it was a sign that Rome was returning to the days of Augustus. Although, according to some of the ancient historians, the man who really pulled the strings in those early days was Macro. Allegedly, Macro conferred with the senators about rulings before Caligula proposed them, and deals were already in place by the time the emperor brought them to the table. But in those early months, it didn't matter who was actually in charge because life in Rome was improving under Caligula. Books banned under Tiberius and even Augustus were suddenly allowed to be published again. The tax system was reformed, which included the elimination of the sales tax. And most importantly, Caligula brought back the legislative body for commoners. Under the new emperor, electoral procedures became democratic once more. But perhaps two of Caligula's favorite early initiatives were public works programs and sporting events. Tiberius had been a frugal leader. At his death, the treasury was estimated to have contained between 2.3 and 3.3 billion sesters. Unfortunately, it is difficult to determine exactly how much that would equal today. But what we can say is, it was a lot of money. And Caligula wasn't going to let that go to waste. He ordered the restoration of various temples around the empire, including the Temple of Apollo in Syracuse and a 500-year-old palace on the island of Samos. He also ordered the construction of new aqueducts, highways, and amphitheaters. Caligula had always appreciated the arts. He loved to dance, and he enjoyed watching plays. It was only natural that he demanded that great amphitheaters be built to honor that interest. But more than anything, Caligula loved chariot racing and the gladiatorial games. Before the construction of the Colosseum, the Circus Maximus was the stadium in Rome, and Caligula made any excuse to have the circus opened for sporting events. For his 25th birthday, Caligula declared a two-day celebration of games. Mixed in between massive chariot races, Caligula also brought back the wild beast hunt. By the time the games ended, nearly 800 animals were brought into the amphitheater and slaughtered for Caligula's amusement, and the people's too. Yes, Caligula was beloved by all. Thanks to him, Rome was on the verge of a new age of prosperity. Of course, this is dictators, and dictators demands a dark turn. For Caligula, it comes in October 37 CE, roughly six months into his reign, when he was struck with an illness that nearly killed him. Some say that an influenza-like pandemic had swept through the empire and Caligula became infected. Others claim he was poisoned. 
Regardless of the cause, once Caligula recovered from the sickness, he was a changed man, and not for the better. Roman historian Suetonius simply described Caligula as suffering from brain sickness. However, many modern medical experts believe that Caligula suffered from either temporal lobe epilepsy, hyperthyroidism, Wilson's disease, schizophrenia, or bipolar disorder, manic depression. The ancient historians like to claim that Caligula was always a deviant psychopath. Perhaps he was, and he was able to mask it for 25 years. But if he did manage to hide it for over two decades, after October 37 CE, the mask abruptly came off. Once he recovered, Caligula became convinced that Gemellus, his adoptive son and heir, had prayed for his death in order to take the throne. So Caligula ordered Gemellus to take his own life. Not knowing how to fall on his own sword, Gemellus needed a Praetorian guard to demonstrate. After Gemellus awkwardly killed himself, the guard cut off his head. According to historian Stephen Dando Collins, the death of Gemellus was just the beginning. About a month later, Caligula ordered his favorite sister, Drusilla, to divorce her husband and marry his friend, Marcus Lapidus. Forcing people to divorce and then remarry quickly became a favorite hobby of Caligula's. Not long after the episode with his sister, Caligula repeated the pattern with his uncle. Around this time, Caligula attended a wedding celebration and suddenly became enamored with the bride, Livia Orstelia. He jumped on the table, proclaimed that Livia was now his bride, took Livia to his bedchamber, and had sex with her. Within days, Caligula and Livia were married. But the marriage lasted only a few weeks. He divorced Livia, accusing her of having an affair with her actual husband, and then exiled her. Livia's wasn't the only relationship Caligula ruined. He loved to insert himself into the marital beds of others. During dinner parties, Caligula would demand married women have sex with him in the room next door. Afterward, Caligula bragged about how much better he was in bed to the husbands. And it was all done in the name of humiliation and jest. Most people were too stunned to do anything about Caligula's sudden change from a benevolent emperor to a petty and malicious one. However, there was one man who wasn't going to let Caligula run wild and bring the empire to ruin, Macro. Though he didn't object to the elimination of Gemellus, Macro knew that he needed to rein Caligula in and fast. The emperor's new barbaric mindset couldn't cross over into governing the empire. Unfortunately for Macro, it was already too late. Caligula wanted to get rid of the prefect of Egypt, a man who was friends with Tiberius and may have been involved in the Sejanus conspiracies against Caligula's mother. Macro urged Caligula not to act out of passion. This, of course, didn't please Caligula. He decided that Macro was too controlling and therefore, he was an obstacle that needed to be removed. So Caligula offered Macro the position of prefect of Egypt. To Macro, it likely looked like Caligula was trying to kill two birds with one stone. 
get his controlling advisor out of Rome, and demote the current prefect whom he already was gunning after. But it wasn't a bad deal, so Macro accepted. In March 38 CE, he and his wife were scheduled to sail to Egypt. But while at port, Macro was inexplicably arrested and thrown into prison. The position in Egypt, it seemed, had been a ruse, a way to get Macro to lower his guard. Clearly, Caligula wanted to get rid of Macro in a more permanent way. Which Macro knew. Caligula would falsely charge him with treason and either banish him or have him executed. So instead of allowing the emperor to decide his fate, Macro took matters into his own hands and died by suicide. Days later, Macro's wife followed her husband's lead. Soon after that, Caligula ordered the execution of Macro's children and family. The elimination of Macro was as much a turning point in Caligula's life as surviving his illness. With Macro gone, no one else even attempted to control Caligula. And how could they? After all, Caligula was a god. At least, that's what he started telling everyone. And no mortal could hold a god down. And soon, the god Caligula had his sights to the west. He was going to do what no other Roman leader could ever accomplish. Conquer Britannia. Thanks for listening to Dictators. Next week, we'll explore some of Caligula's more outrageous exploits, including constructing a three-mile-long floating bridge, his campaign to Britain, and the conspiracy that brought his reign to a bloody end. You can find all episodes of Dictators and all other originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. We'll see you next time. Dictators was created by Max Cutler and is a Parcast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Mike Ramos, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Dictators was written by Joe Guerra, with writing assistance by Kate Gallagher, and stars Kate Leonard and Richard Rossner. Hang a horseshoe above your door, keep a rabbit's foot in your pocket, and follow Superstitions free on Spotify. Listen every Wednesday for the surprising backstories to our most curious beliefs and thrilling tales that illuminate the mystical eeriness of our favorite superstitions.